Good morning, Bokir Tov. I want to thank our sponsors for our Amuna Shir this morning. Bob and Penny Perlman, honor of Rafu Shlema for their beloved daughter-in-law, Dvorah Shoshana Bas Rivka Chana Chava. Should have a complete, speedy, and painless Rafu Shlema. And Avi and Dvorah Orlan, in memory of their beloved daughter, Miriam Esther Bas Avram Yitzchak, whose neshama should continue to have an aliyah through their generosity and their love. Okay, very exciting. I think this is Amuna Shir number 99. Next week, I'm not here, but the week after that, we meet for our 100th Emunashir, which we're going to make a uh, celebration. To celebrate our 100th Emunashir, we're going to have a light breakfast, and we're looking for sponsors. already have one person who's interested, but in order to serve, the difference between a light breakfast and a real breakfast is your sponsorship. So <laughs> if, you, uh, if we get a few sponsors together... And we have something very beautiful planned because with that light breakfast, we're going to put into practice what we've been learning. We'll have little notes of the bracha next to each food at breakfast and an encouragement to uh, say it out loud and with kavana and to put into practice the uh, topic of birchas hanenen that we've now spent several weeks on in this piece by Revolbe in Chelek Sheni of Ali Shor. These are old. These are not. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're out. If people can share. Oh, no, wait. Here, here. Shin Zayin, Shin here, here's one. But if people could share, that would be great. So we've been doing this piece in Ali Shor Chelik Bez. Revolbe has been uh, explaining to us why Chazal saw the uh, best exercise through which to grow our Amuna muscles, the best workout, the best way to increase a sense of mindfulness and the presence of Hashem in our life is through saying brachos. Certainly it's through davening too. Shachar Smen Chamarev. When Rav Shechter was here recently, he reminded us that women too are obligated in Shachar, Smincha, and even preferably Marev, to say the, at least the Amida of each. So certainly it's through our davening that we have the direct communion, direct conversation. We feel directly in the presence of Hashem. It is the Amida, I mentioned in the Siddur snippets, uh, the last Siddur snippets, that Amida is called the Amida because it's the only part where we're standing before Hashem. The rest of davening, we're preparing to talk to Hashem. We are recovering from talking to Hashem. We are meditating and reflecting about Hashem. All of Pesukei de Zimra, Birchos Kriya Shema and Shema. The part of davening where we're actually standing in front of Hashem and pouring out our heart. Hashem, here's what's on my mind. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here's what I think is best for me, for the people around me that I love. Here's what I'm grateful for. Thank you so much. We're really, really good at the requests. We're not so good at after the fact saying, you know, that worked out. Thank you. Remember last week I asked you for this, my kid at a test, I was going to the doctor, this thing was happening, my husband applied for a job. Remember I poured out my heart and begged you? We're good at pouring out our heart to beg, we're not as good as when we get the results coming back and saying, you know, that really worked out. Thank you so much. That couldn't have happened without you. The thank you we struggle with, even though it should come much more, more naturally. Or whether it's even protesting, as we've spoken about many times, telling Kaddish Baruch here's what I'm objecting to, here's what I protest. So the Amidah, certainly, those three times a day, they harness, they, they promote our sense of a connection with Hashem. But Chazal and Revolb is encouraging, through the Ramban and other sources we've seen, that the real, the real um, springboard that propels us forward in our relationship with Hashem with a sense of emuna is when we have the consciousness and the mindfulness to both say brachos every day for the things that we're enjoying and benefiting from. It reminds us that even the things we take for granted that we neglect, even the little things all come from Hashem. And it creates a pause within our day in which we're acknowledging, in which we're making a bid for connection, in which we are connecting with Hashem. So I'm not going to review everything we've said until now. We've seen several pages. We pick up on page Shin Yud Zayin. Page Shin Yud Zayin, where in Ali Shor Chelik Beis Marechas Avodah Musaras Sharsheni Vad Chamishi, 
We're in the middle of Vad Chamishi. And uh, if you recall, at least from the last time that we met, he was describing when the Pasuk says with Molech, it says, Laman Tameis Mikdashi, Rashi says, Kinesis Yisrael Shehim Mukdashis Li, that when one violates a particular um, Avera with one's children, Molech, then you are Metame Mikdashi, we, you contaminate God's sanctuary. What is God's sanctuary? Knesset Yisrael. In other words, God's sanctuary is not the bricks and mortar. God's sanctuary is not the building of the shul or the base medrash. God's sanctuary is us. That is there. The bricks and mortar, the building is there for us to realize that the true sanctuary is inside us. Bilvavi Mishkan Evne, Vishachanti Bisocham. What the, what the um, Rav Chaim Velazhner, Nefesh Chaim, describes that it's not that we're a mushal for the Mishkan because we missed the Mishkan. The Mishkan is a mushal for us. All the different parts of the Mishkan, the Heichal, the Ulam, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, are all parts of us. Our lower part, our heart, our brain, all of the different human organs that drive our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts, our memory, our distractions, our judgment, our choices. We're not a mushal for the, for the uh, Mishkan. We are the Nimshal. The Nefesh HaChaim writes, the Mishkan is the, is the mushal for us. It is a physical manifestation of what we are supposed to recognize and realize is going on inside us that we embody. We are that Bilvavi Mishkan Evne. So sometimes you think, we don't have a base of Mikdash, we don't have a Mishkan, and I spend most of my day outside the shul. So, okay, what could I do? I live a secular, mundane life for most of the time because I don't have access. I don't have entree into those places of holiness. And we fail to realize we're conceding that we are that place of holiness. The Mishkan comes with us wherever we go because Bilvavi, it's in our hearts that we have the, that we have the Mishkan. We talked about last time, especially even or especially when we're in an uncomfortable situation, you're in a business meeting, you're with someone who doesn't understand what a bracha is, but you stop and you say, excuse me for a millisecond while I thank God for this delicious apple. Excuse me for a millisecond while I acknowledge the beauty, the gift of this cup of coffee. That you are a Bilvavi Mishkan Evna. You are now a traveling sanctuary who is transforming Hashem's world, and that is our mission. And only we can do that, right? We ended with the... Um, anyone else go back and listen to the song? Like me, after the shir last time? Kach Ratz HaKadosh Baruch Yizoyev Adosayinu V'zei Yascharenu Rabbi Shmuel Ben Alisha Kenir HaKohen Gadol HaAchron Lefnei Achurban Rabbi Shmuel Ben Alisha who was the last high priest before the destruction Nichnas Biyom HaKippurim Lefnei Vlefnim V'Amr Lo Ashkina He entered into the Holy of Holies on the holiest day of the year and you know what God had to say to him? Not here are the lottery numbers or here who's going to win the Super Bowl or here's what the Jewish people are doing wrong and you need to turn them around what did Hashem say to Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha, the last Kohen Gadol, when he entered this most sacred space that nobody else could enter except for the high priest, the Kohen Gadol? You know what he told him? Yishmael b'ni barcheni. Yishmael, my son, give me a bracha. Could you imagine? Imagine, lahavdil, 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 lahavdil. In the last few months, I, I saw Rabbi Chaim and B'nai Brak, and last week I was at the Sklera Rebbe in, in New Square in Muncie, and you go into a Rebbe and there's a line, Rabbi Chaim, the line is through his apartment, out the door, down the steps, up the block, in Tel Aviv somewhere. The line is, it's, it's enormous. So you wait on line because just to have a moment of attention, of time, of the countenance of a, of a gadol, of a great person, who all you're going to get out of him, he doesn't even have the time to say the full bracha batzlacha, it's buha, that's all, he's shortened it, in order to be more efficient, to see as many people. And you have connections, so you got the full bracha batzlacha. Ooh, I got a whole bracha. So imagine you wait, you wait, you wait, you finally get in, you used all the protection you have on the planet, and then Reb Chaim turns to you and says, give me a bracha. Lahavdil, 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 
Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha gets into the Kodesh HaGadoshim. He's waiting to feel the bracha of Hashem. And he Yachal hears Hashem say, Barcheni, could you give me a bracha? Now what bracha do you give Hashem? What bracha could you give Hashem? What's even a bracha to give Hashem? When we go for a bracha, what do we ask for? So a regular person says, give me gezunt, give me good health, give me nachas for my children, give me continued parnasa, give me shalom bias, all the things that really matter in life. If you're a really exceptional person, you say, hey, give me siyata deshmaya in my Torah learning, help me in my amuna with, with Hashem, help my davening flow freely and easily. Those are the brachas we ask for. Hashem says, give me a bracha. What are you going to give a bracha for? What's the bracha you're going to give the Bribon Shalom? Barcheni. bracha. And Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha gives him a bracha taka. So what are you going to say to Hashem? Gezunt and parnasa and nachas and shalom bayas. He's the omnipotent, omniscient, infinite creator of the entire universe. He needs nothing. He is everything. And you're a little schnook. You're a little finite, temporary. You're going to be worm food in a few minutes. And what are you going to give? Not, I'm not going to disparage Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha. I'm talking about every human being, Basar Vadam. What bracha, Barcheni, what bracha? My father was 100 years old. Oh. He was all there. And he was very, very early. And he always used to lynch everybody. Oh, that's a good bracha. But okay. says you should, uh, you should give the give give uh, the Abishter nachas. But what what bracha do you give the Abishter? <laughs> that's a good bracha he and gave he at a hundred. Oh, so we give him good. So you're going to give him a bracha. He should see nachas from us. So he said, so, but does it make sense to give Hashem a bracha? No. What does the word bracha mean? When we say the words, this is important because we're working through birchas hananin. We're not up to this in Siddur snippets. We haven't really covered this yet. But you say a bracha begins with the word Baruch. Baruch atah Hashem. Blessed are you, God. We've been saying that some people here, your father said for a hundred years. What does it mean? Baruch atah. Blessed are you, Hashem. What does the word blessed mean? Anyone have the courage to guess? Been saying it for a thousand years? Combined in this room, we've been saying it for a millennia. So how, what does the word mean? Baruch. So, Baruch comes from brecha, which means a stream or a flow. It means you're makor ha-bracha. You are the source of bracha. Not blessed are you, Hashem, like Hashem. You're so lucky. You're handsome. You're smart. You got alamailas, Hashem. Some other gods, they're missing mailas. But you have alamailas. You're so benched. You're so chalila. God forbid. God forbid. Hashem is infinite. He's the source of all. He's, what does it mean, baruch ata Hashem? It means makor ha-bracha. You are the source of all bracha. All bracha flows from you. So how do we begin every bracha that we recite? Hashem, before I get up to the coffee or the apple or the sandwich, before I get up to you open my eyes, before I get up to whatever bracha I'm saying, before I get up to the specifics of it, the beginning, the template of every bracha is Baruch Hashem. Before I can get up to the end of the bracha, I have to realize the beginning of the bracha, which is, there's no point in saying the end of the bracha without the recognition the first part of the bracha. You are the Makor bracha. Hashem, if I have my health, and a roof over my head, and a car to drive, and I can see, and I can walk, and I can digest. And if I have anything in my life, if there is any bracha that I identify in my life, Baruch Atah Hashem, you are the Makor Bracha. The reason I'm about to connect you to my apple is because you are the source of the apple. So I establish what I establish first before I get up to the detail, before I get up to the application and the specific, but what I establish first is the generic Hashem, Baruch Atah Hashem, you are the Makor Bracha. This is very important. I don't know if you go through 12 years of Jewish education if anyone ever explains that to you. 
You just yelled that. Did you make a bracha on that? Did you bench? I don't hear you. Louder. I guess I don't know. What, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's Chinese to me, but maybe we should stop and pause. And there should be a form of a sitter snippet curriculum for children. If you're going to start making brachas from when you're four, three years old, let's explain what you're saying. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Brecha Mekor Bracha. Hashem, you are the source of all bracha. You know what it means? You tell a little kid if your sports team won, it's because Hashem is the Mekor Bracha. And if your soccer team won, if you made it onto the basketball team, if you did well on the test, if you're because Hashem is the Makor Bracha. So later, when you make a Bracha on the apple, you're thinking about your soccer team won. It's all connected because He's the Makor Bracha. He's the source of any Bracha in your life, which is why when you're experiencing any more Bracha, a cup of coffee, a cold cup of water, an apple, pecan pie, steak and fried onion, I'm going to go on and on now, but I'm hungry. If, if, uh, if whatever good you're experiencing, B'samim, you're about to imbibe a pleasant fragrance. You're going to make a Bracha, Boremi Neve Samim. Oh, Geschmack. You're about to watch a wedding. You're standing under a chuppah. You're making a bracha. A birchas erusin, which according to the Rambam, according to some, is a birchas ha-mitzvah. It's a big machlokas, a birchas ha-mitzvah, birchas ha-shevach. Why are you making the bracha? At a bris, you're making a bracha. Under a chuppah. Every bracha we make, what are you saying? This couple, who brought them together? You are the makor bracha, Hashem. This whole chuppah is because of you. You're not exactly paying for it, but you are paying for it through me because you gave me the ability to pay for it. So, Makor Bracha. Baruchat Tashem on Derchopa. Baruchat Tashem at a bris. Baruchat Tashem on your candles on Friday night. Every Bracha begins with those words because the premise, the prerequisite, the foundation to whatever Bracha you're about to acknowledge. The little baby we're about to do surgery on, a bris. The Chuppah, we're about to bring this couple together. The Yuntif, we're about to usher in. The apple, I'm about to eat. Makor Bracha. The source of that Bracha, Bracha Brecha. That I merited to live, that I'm alive, that I experience. I get emotional, my family laughs at me. I get emotional every yontif with the bracha shachianu. Often, one of our sets of parents are there at the table. There's other people that we're privileged from our community who are, we have uh, almost every yontif, who it's not such a given that the next year at that yontif, they're going to be there. And when they are, you're saying shachianu, that so-and-so is here, that we have a family. Shachianu, we've lived here. How many people by that next yontif, when they make the shachianu, their life has been turned upside down? Who's not there from the family? Who has a diagnosis they're suffering from? Who's no longer working? Who's struggling to have a child? By that next shah. You make a shechianu, baruch atah Hashem. Makor baruch shechianu, kimanu, that I'm alive, that I'm here. Look who else is here. Look how much is the same. Everybody always wants change and different. Be a little grateful when you have the same. The same is enough of a bracha. The same is enough of a bracha. I have all the same people. Someone in our community has several children with... Um, significant uh, autism and uh, they're really heroic people the courage that it takes them to live every single day and and she said to me an accomplished physician she said to me once she said any night that i have the same head count as the way we woke up that morning is a bracha i count my if i put my kids to bed and we have the same head count in my home as we had in the morning that's all i need it's a bracha can you imagine the headspace several children with significant disabilities significant she says, any night that I, the same. All I want is the same. I'll take the same. What a bracha, shechianu. So the very word, we haven't learned anything new yet, but the very words, baruch, baruch ata Hashem, the word bracha means makor ha-bracha, brecha, everything flows. So before you get to the end, you, get, you can't stop, you have to make the whole bracha. But before you even get to the end, there's the generic first part of the bracha. There's a whole sugi in the Gemara brachos that talks about, what if when you made the first half of the bracha, you thought the wrong end half of the bracha for the food you were about to eat? Do you have to repeat the bracha from the beginning? 
And the whole sugi in the Gemara is because, true, we have a template that begins every bracha, but there are really two brachas within every bracha. So if I had the wrong intent on the first half of the bracha, I was going to make a mazonas on the apple, and only when I got to the end did I realize the eights. So did that nullify my intent when I said the opening of the bracha, bracha Tashem? What is that whole sugi telling me? The first half of the bracha is in itself a bracha. Baruch Tashem. Baruch mekor bracha. Excuse me. So what Revolba is saying is, this is the means, the mechanism, the instrument to feel Yir Hashemayim. You want a relationship with Hashem? You want to know He's there? You want to feel connected? Connect Him through the coffee and the jelly beans and lunch and dinner and the snack. And when you come out of the bathroom, every bracha you're making, each one of these brachas is a pause to say, wow, you know what? Things are still the same. Uh, you come out of the bathroom, everything worked. Ah, oh, Baruch Hashem, that's still the same. I swallowed the coffee, it went down, I didn't burn myself, I could still taste coffee. Baruch Hashem, it's still the same. It's a bracha on, everything's still working the way it's supposed to. It's amazing, it's still the same. So he went into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Rabbi Shmo ben Alisha. Kodesh Baruch says, Barcheni. So that was all to introduce again this question. Hashem is the Makor Bracha, he's the source of all bracha, not Rabbi Shmo ben Alisha. So what bracha is Rabbi Shmo ben Alisha going to give Hashem? So the Gemara there says, you know what the Bren, Avram Fried continues to sing, you know what the bracha is that he gives? He says, I give a bracha that you should have expression in this world. See, there's one thing that a Kodesh Baruch Hu can't do that he needs us to do, Kiviyachal, and that is choose him, connect with him, relate with him, feel his presence. He can't force himself upon us. A relationship needs two parties. When one party forces themselves on the other party in a relationship, you have a hashtag Me Too movement. You have abuse. You have, uh, that's exactly what this world, it's, it's not. You need two parties. You need consenting adults in a relationship. You can't force one party on another. So to be a king, ain melech below am. To be a king, you need to have a nation. So Kodesh Baruch Hu says, I'm the king of the universe. I'm the master of all. I created everything and you. This world is just an illusion. Really, it's all an extension of me. But with all of that, there's one bracha, there's one thing Hashem needs. We talk about this Rosh Hashanah time when we, when we recite Malchios. Kedesh Atam Lichuni Aleichem, the Gemara says. Imru Lefanai Malchios. Hashem says, recite Malchios. Kedesh Atam Lichuni Aleichem. So I can be king over you. What do I you mean? You're not king because you choose whether I live or die. That doesn't make you king. You need me to get together in shul and announce that you're king. And the answer is, yeah, how many people are walking around who even though God's in charge of whether they live or die, don't know that he's the king? How many? So the only way that he is brought down as a dira betachtonim is when bilvavi mishkan evne. How does Hashem reside in the lower world? How is Hashem's presence felt? How does the world come to know godliness and pursue holiness? When we are the instrument, the conduit, when we are the tabernacle, when bilvavi mishkan evne. So what's the bracha bishma ben Elisha gave Hashem? The bracha he gives him is, may your children give expression to you on earth. May you find, you, you don't need them. You are the source of all, but the one thing that only we can do. And we learn from there, that if Hashem could take a bracha from Bishma ben Elisha, we should never, ever minimize the bracha anyone gives us. People wait online to get a bracha. Reb Chaim, you go to the square Rebbe, you go to different Rebbe's and Kfarim and ask for brachas and tefillos, and they're all important. There's a place for that in our tradition. But birchos hedyor atiyakalabeinecha. When at the end of this amunashir, someone says to you, they heard you're sick, so when you know it's sick and they give you a bracha, you should have gezunt and refuah shleima. Atiyakalabeinecha. Don't dismiss it. It is of great significance. You don't know whose bracha is going to put things over the top to change your 
situation, your status. If Hashem could take a bracha from Bishma ben Elisha, a human being, then we can welcome and embrace a bracha from absolutely anybody that gives it. Okay, now that we're 20 minutes into the shir, we're ready to begin. So we're on the bottom of the page, Shin Yud Zayin. This is where we left off last time. To understand this, we need to know that there are two ways that Hashem interacts with the world. There are two ways, manifestations, that Hashem interacts. Ha'aras panim, ve'hester panim. There's revelation and there's hiddenness. There's sometimes that Hashem says, waving His hand, here I am, here I am, intervening in your life, interceding in your life. Hi, here I am. He's way, I don't know, some of these social media things, have. To, I don't know what they are, I don't know why people do it to me, they can poke you, they poke you. You gotta notice, so-and-so has poked you. I don't wanna be poked, I don't need to be poked, I don't know why people are poking. So they can poke you. So sometimes the Ribbon Shalom pokes you. Something works out that is so clearly the revelation of his hand in your life. Something that shouldn't have happened, that it happened so perfectly, and it came together, and it was meant to be, and it happened, and wow, siyat deshmaya, such hashkacha pratis, something came together. It happens. So that's ha'aras panim. Ha'ara like light, illumination. Hashem has illuminated your life. He's made your presence. I don't know, like on a global sense, you could say the Six-Day War. Basking in the glory of the Six-Day War, which was really over on the first day, and against all odds that ever should have happened, and those who lived through it. It was a shtickle before my time. So they said, wow, you felt the hand of Hashem. There was a resurgence of the Batshuva movement that came as a result. People, mamish, felt the hand of Hashem. Sometimes there's ha'aras panim. But you know what came several years before the Six-Day War? Hester Padam, the Holocaust. You have moments where you say, where is he? What is happening? Where did he go? Why is he not watching? Why is he not intervening? We say in davening, it's him shalom. At the end of davening each day, Hashem, with the light of your face, with your countenance, with your illumination, you have given us. With Ha'aras Panim, cause Bracha Vatzlacha. Hashem, you've shown your hand and I got the job. Hashem, you've shown your hand, I got the parking spot. Hashem, you, got, you showed your hand and that investment worked out. Hashem, you showed your hand and everything came together. It was perfect. It was Bashert. It was amazing. Bracha. Hester Panim, humakor lecholat saras vagzeres ba'olam. Anytime that there is suffering, pain, difficulty, it's because there's Hester Panim. Hashem is hidden. He's turned the other way. You can't see his face. Vanochi haster astir panai mehem. I will hide my face. So which one that we get is a mirror of what we give. Says Revol, but you can find much more about this in the Ramchal. So I just want to give a disclaimer that I know that revolba means too, which is there are people who suffer terrible things and they are phenomenal, incredible, amazing people. Amazing, amazing people. I, there's, we're hosting right now a conference at Shiva University, Archikala, rabbis from across the country for two and a half days. I'm missing it. I'd rather hang out with you for a little bit. So we're hanging out together. But um, So yesterday there were a few sessions that dealt with how we interact with people going through hard times and difficult times. And you know, there was a father who spoke to us who was like, goes to shul three times a day, learns Dafyomi, was the president of every organization, put his children through day school, has the most inspired, passionate home, and Nebuch Lo Aleinu Rahman al has a child who's intermarried, who, who went through the whole day school system a year in Israel, everything, and explained what that's like. Another parent who has a child whose uh, sexual orientation is not consistent with or is challenging within our firm framework. And you talk about 
So it's very easy to say, ah, oh, they didn't see any passion in the home. They didn't see any love. They didn't see Judaism on fire. There are plenty of homes where there's... Ju- so the disclaimer is, there are people who suffer. There are people who have consequences. There are people who go through challenging times. And it does not directly correlate to their righteousness. We have tzaddik varalo. We have a principle that there's a person experiencing ra lo, and they're a tzaddik. There are righteous, righteous, virtuous, noble, incredible people who, for whatever reason, Hashem has chosen to visit challenge on them. It's not directly, doesn't relate directly. If it did, we wouldn't have free will. If you knew that if you're bad, bad things happen, and if you're good, good things happen, would anyone ever choose to be bad? Would anyone ever choose to be bad? I believe, or this is for me, the most meaningful explanation of why bad things happen to good people. Did I share it recently here? No. So why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? And I think it's to keep us honest. I once read in a journal of education many years ago, the question, the age-old question. A child gets their test back, and it turns out the teacher marked something that was incorrect, correct, and they got a few extra points because of it. So the child, with a big smile and pride in what they're about to do, walks up to the Mora, the teacher, the Rebbe, and says, Mora, teacher, Rebbe, you gave me extra points. You marked this right, but it was wrong. So what are we trained to do? What does the teacher do? What should we do? What do you think should happen? Because you were honest, you could keep the points. You're right. I marked it wrong. It was my mistake. But you pinch a little cheek. You're not allowed to do that anymore. You can't touch the child. So you, you, you poke the child online and you uh, say, uh, I'm so proud of you because of your honesty. I don't know if you're allowed to do that either. But because of your honesty, you could keep the points. So this author in this journal argued that's a terrible, terrible lost educational opportunity. Why? Why? Because when you go to Publix and they gave you the change for a 50 even though you only gave them a 20. So you walked away with extra money. So you come back in and you tell the cashier, you gave me an extra $20 bill. She doesn't pinch your cheek and say, oh, you know, you were so honest. Keep the $20 bill. (laughs) So the argument in the journal was, don't teach that honesty pays because honesty doesn't pay and we're not honest because it pays. Sometimes honesty costs sometimes being dishonest pays and being honest costs and you should be honest anyway so it's a disservice to the child to give them the points because then you are reinforcing the idea that always be honest because it's going to pay you could agree, disagree with the journal with this author, I don't know, different ages maybe there's different reactions maybe you take the points off but you give a candy because you came to me I'm not in education, I don't know what to do but when I read that I thought when I read that it struck me that's the Rebona Shalom does with us he says, I want you to do what's right because it's right. Now, if only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, you wouldn't do good because it's good. You'd do good because you want good things. And you wouldn't avoid bad because it's bad. You'd avoid bad because you don't want bad things. So how does the Rebona Shalom keep us honest? He says, be good even though you know bad things might still happen to you. And even though you'll see bad people that good things are happening to them, don't be bad. So I think that the whole the whole framework, the whole meaning and purpose to life is having free will, is having choice. If we didn't have choice and free will, we'd be pre-programmed, automated robots. There'd be no meaning and purpose to our relationships. There's only meaning and purpose to our relationships because we make choices. We make choices that bring us closer with one another. We make choices that drive us further away from one another. Our choices have consequences and having choices is what gives meaning to life. So in order to preserve free will and to have choices, you have to have bad things that happen to good people. If only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, who would ever be bad? But when you live in a world and you see that, you know what? Good things happen to some bad, terrible people. And there are bad things that happen to some good, amazing people. So you know what? I'm going to be good because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to choose to be good. I'm going to have a choice because I'm going to struggle. 
So I want to just be very clear about what Revolve is saying and not saying. He's not saying that if you're going through a hard time, there are people in this room right now who have in the past and who even currently are going through very difficult physical, emotional, spiritual situations. Very, very challenging. And I'm not telling you now go home and beat yourself up because you're a terrible person and bad things are happening to you because you're a bad person. You might be the most righteous, holy in our whole room and in our community. We don't know Hashem's system. We don't know why. With that said, with that said, what Revolve is saying is this. You want Hashem to give... Ha'aras panim, we've established there's two ways Hashem relates to us. Either ha'aras panim or hester panim. Either revelation or hiddenness. Well, it's very simple, he says. Hashem is a mirror. Hashem is a mirror. And He reflects what we portray into that mirror. When we reach out to Him, when we've revealed ourselves to Him, when we've invested in our relationship with Him, so there's a relationship. He's present in our life. When we practice hester panim with Him, He hasn't seen us in shul. He hasn't heard us from the sitter. He hasn't heard us make a bracha. He hasn't seen us say thank you. He's not the one practicing Hester Panam. We're practicing Hester Panam. He hasn't heard from us in a long time. He hasn't heard from us for a long time. I have a good friend and we recently had a spat and we talked and worked it out. And one of his things was, he says, you only text me, you only reach out to me when the shul needs something. I said, well, why don't you look back at your texts and see when's the last time you reached out to me when, when you didn't need something. <laughs> it works both ways. It works both ways. Sometimes we're ready to like... So we say, Hashem, we're, Hester Panim. Hashem, where are you? Hashem says, where am I? Oh, you're going through a hard time, so I've heard from you. You know, your sitter's got a lot of dust on it. I haven't heard from you in quite a while. I haven't felt your presence in my life, Hashem says. So what Revolve is asserting is that Hester Panim and Panim are reciprocal relationships. Is it no different with our friends? Is it no different with our spouse? Is it no different with our children? Right? The age old, you hear from your children when they need something. Put more money. Thank God for debit cards. Put more money on the debit card. You need something. I have wonderful children. I hear from them even when they don't need anything. Sometimes I say, Cut out. I hear from you too much. I got to get some work done. So, <laughs> so Baruch uh, Hashem, you got that feature where you could just press, I'm busy, I'll call you later. You know? Anyway. So, I, I love hearing from them. I, hear, I love hearing from you. Call me. Keep calling. <laughs> some of them actually listen to this. Keep calling. I love it. I love it. I love it. Anyway, so, so, but it's reciprocal. It's reciprocal. You know, the parent who only hears from their child when they're in crisis. I'm talking about an adult child who weeks can go by, months can go by. You don't hear from a child unless they're in crisis. And now the child wants to know from the parent, why aren't you rushing in to save me? Why aren't you investing in me everything you have? Why aren't you rescuing me? Where are you? you say, where am I? Where have you been? Now a parent will rescue anyway because that's what it means to be a parent. But where am I? Where have you been? So what Revolve is saying is, what is the way that we show Hashem Ha'aras Panim instead of Hester Panim? Brachos. Making brachos. How do I show Hashem I know you're here? Again, not just swallowing the bracha faster than we swallow the food, but saying the bracha, thinking the bracha, feeling the bracha. The bracha is the means, the way in which we show Hashem we know He's here. It's a reciprocal relationship. Don't hide and be invisible and, and have no contact with Hashem and then wonder where He is. And wonder where he is. The power of saying a bracha is the capacity, it has the power to transform Hester Panam to Haaras Panam, Hashem's hiddenness to his revelation. If you don't make a bracha, you have robbed, you have stolen, you're a no good, evil, wicked, Isfar thief. You're a no good robber. Who have you stolen? Whom have you stolen from? You stole from Hashem. You took that which is His without saying please or thank you. But who else have you stolen from? You stole from yourself, the relationship you could have had and living the best version of yourself. And who else have you stolen from? 
Knesset Yisrael, you stole him from the world because every bracha transforms the atmosphere. If you remember last time I told you what Rav Avram Shor told us about learning in the morning when the nightclubs and the hoodlums and they're all asleep. The air is less contaminated. There's a greater purity in the air. You know, we're so worried about global warming and, and green and, and recycling and beautiful, it's important, good, we should worry. But we're worried about that physically. What about that spiritually? What is the atmosphere? What does the spiritual atmosphere look like right now? What is the spiritual global warming that's going on? Where is the spiritual um, green effort that we're making? We have to worry about what the atmosphere looks like spiritually. When you put a bracha out there, we're going to have in our 100th shir, a little bracha's party, like we're little kids again. So we're going to have a little bracha's party because we're going to transform the atmosphere. We're going to rid it, purify it of its contamination and fill the atmosphere with ha'aras panim, with Hashem's presence by saying brachas. So when you deny the world the bracha that you should be saying, you've denied Hashem, you've stolen from Him, you've denied yourself becoming who you could be, but you've also failed, you've stolen the opportunity to change the atmosphere. <speaking in Hebrew> we have the capacity to give strength to God. <speaking in Hebrew> How Hashem interacts with the world, He's put in our hands. The ball's in our court. The ball's in our court. He says, you connect with me, I will reciprocate ten times more to connect with you. You pull back from me, no problem. I got it. I understand it. I'm not looking to force myself upon you. You don't need me, I don't need you. I don't want to force myself in. So, sort of paradoxically, Hashem's whole presence in this world relies on us. We determine the extent, the degree, the intensity of His presence in this world. Hagur Arye Bekadshim, Maral in, in, in Kedoshim, Parsit Kedoshim, Mefarshu Gozal Sapri, Kamosim Mefarshu Biyakat Shivenu, Vezel Perish Tevez Baruch, Atahu Mekor Kol Brachos, Viratzon Shetisrabe Hashpa'ascha Ba'olam, Kedeshinakiroscha Yoser. So what's a bracha? Listen to this revolva. You should write it out and print it out and put it over your dining room table. The bracha you say is Yehi Ratzon. May it be your will, Hashem, Shetisrabe Hashpa'ascha Ba'olam, that your influence increase in this world. So we can feel and see your presence only more and more. This is what the Nefesh Chaim So, Baruch Atashem, Mekor HaBrachas, you who are the source of all brachas, let you shower more brachas so that we can feel your presence more and more. That's what's implicit in every bracha we say. But we still have a lot of work to do. So we say the word bracha, the word baruch, a hundred times a day. You know what a hundred times a day is? A hundred times a day. It should instill and ingrain within us. It should develop the habit within us. Baruch, baruch, makora brachos, makora brachos, makora brachos. Everything going on, Hashem, you are the source of bracha. As he says, where should we work on this most? Asher Why? Because it is the bracha we most tefillah saderach. We're saying it as we're walking away from the bathroom, if we say it at all, while we're already doing the next thing that we're doing. And we don't even know that we're saying until something's not working properly. Then we really understand what that bracha means. We found very, very deep and holy, lofty things in Birchas Hananen. Imagine someone could succeed a hundred times a day having kavana. This is what it said. The Pasuk says, What does God want from you, Moshe says. And the Chazal say, 
What is the means, the mechanism through which we achieve Yir Hashemayim? Brachas. Now we understand why. Revolve is finishing full circle. Why is it they said, don't, Atikre Ma Elameya? A hundred times a day, you know what the result will be? Yir Hashemayim. Yir Hashemayim. And imagine, if you didn't just say a hundred brachas a day, could you imagine if you had kavana for the hundred brachas a day? If you say a hundred brachas a day, it's 36,500 brachas a year. Now, multiply 36,500 by a hundred years. How many brachas? Add two zeros. What is that? Three million? 36 million? It's, it's an enormous amount. To count your brachas. You should walk around with a clicker, like steps. No, you should have like a, uh, what's that thing called? A Fitbit for your brachas. 10,000 steps a day. You have people who walk around their living room all night. I'm at 9,000. Ah, I'd vibrate on my wrist. Yay, party. 10,000 steps. Right. 10,000 steps, calculating the calorie intake. We have all kinds of metrics of what we're measuring. Measure. Did you make 100 brachas? Now tell you a secret. 19 times 3, you're well on your way. You're well on your way. Right? You're at 57 brachas before you even start. If you say Shemon Asari three times a day, you've said more than half of your quota. You're more than halfway there. So, Revolba says, I promise you, I can't describe to you the benefit if you don't just swallow the bracha, but you think about it. Imagine, go through one day where all 100 brachas that you said, you thought about. Go through one brute week where all hundred brachas you said you thought about. Now imagine at the end of, of uh, a year you said 36,500 brachas and you don't remember saying one of them. Is there a greater tragedy? 36,500 brachas you said in that year and you don't remember paying attention once. You don't feel the impact of one. The lost opportunity, the lost moments, the last gain of Yerushalayim. How many times you essentially took Hashem's name in vain that you said the bracha, but you weren't paying attention. Hundred brachas a day is an enormous avoda when you want to say them with concentration. And not everybody can. And Revolba says, so let's not start out by saying we're going to do 100 a day. Let's start out, we're going to say the 100 brachas a day, but let's commit to 10 out of the 100, 10%. Let's commit to for 10% pay attention. Pay attention for 10%. And you will see the benefit and you'll just want to add more and more. So maybe you couldn't get to 10,000 steps a day, so you started with 3,000 steps a day. But then you just wanted to add more and more because it got easier and easier and we're the same way. So if we had a counter, a clicker, a system to measure the 100 brachas a day, you would look back and see your day as better and better and better. Every one of us can. Whoever makes a bracha is blessed. I mentioned in another context last week in the 10 minutes of meaning, and I'll end with this, that I was listening to a podcast of Tim Ferriss interviewing Jim Collins. Jim Collins is the author of Good to Great. He was a professor at Stanford. He's a management guru. It's a really worthwhile listen. I think it's like an hour 45. But if you listen on double speed, half the time. So... It's, it's a really worthwhile listen. And he talks about that already for a couple decades. He has a system of a spreadsheet that he keeps in his life. It has three columns. And one of the columns he keeps just one se- two sentences what he did that day. Here's what I worked on. Here's who I, who I interacted with. Here was my day. Just a two-second summary of the day. And another column is he rates every day from minus two to plus two. What, what was the day? At the end of this day, did I feel energized, productive, creative, accomplished? Was it a good day? A plus two, I'm going to sleep feeling really good? 
or this day not go anything the way I wanted it to. I feel depleted and de-energized. It was a negative day. I'm a negative two or something in between. He rates every day. And why does he do this, he says? Because he goes back and quarterly and annually, he studies the spreadsheet and he tries to understand what was I doing and with whom did I interact when I got a plus two? And what was I doing and with whom did I interact that I got a negative two? And then he says, I want to now lead my life doing more of the things and doing it with the people who give me plus two days. If I have a limited amount of time to live and I want to live the best and most fulfilled and happiest, most meaningful life yet, don't I want to determine and dictate those days to make them the most fulfilling? Now, we're not always in control and we're not always have the ability to manipulate those questions so much, but to a certain degree that we do. So I posit and suggest to you, and I suggest it to Jim Collins, if he's listening. He's not listening. But I would posit to Jim Collins that if he would add making 100 blessings a day, it would contribute to the plus two column. If he wanted to measure a good day, he would find that if he made brachas every day, he would have more good days. He would see more bracha. He'd feel more bracha. He'd have more gratitude in life. Because we get to an end of a day and think it's miserable, but we forgot, you know what it took to get that cup of coffee? Baruch Hashem, there's such a thing called the coffee bean. And someone planted it and it grew and it wasn't infested with bugs and it was harvested and it was transported and it was ground and it was packaged and someone put it in a little overpriced pod and I have an invention of a Kerrig machine and I have a cup of coffee and now when I take a sip of that cup of coffee there was the truck driver and there was the manufacturer and there was the person who built the box that transported the... And there's a hundred steps that went into it and in that cup of coffee, I'm making a bracha, not a cup of coffee, I'm making a bracha on a world that could produce a cup of coffee that ends up... I didn't have to break my back in the field. I didn't have to grow the cocoa bean, the coffee bean. I didn't have to grow, I didn't have to, I just put it in the carrot. Big thing I had to do was choose eight ounces, 10 ounces, 12 ounces. That was my big contribution. I had to press the button. In the comfort of my air conditioning, in taking 60 seconds, 30, 45 seconds, I pressed the button. Wow, that's not worth a bracha. How many things had to happen for me to be able to have that pot of coffee? There's coffee snobs here. I know I'm insulting you, suggesting that a pot, a carrot is good. I know that's like, uh, for coffee snobs, that's an insult. But how many things had to happen for that cup of coffee? For whatever it is I'm eating, smelling, enjoying, doing, going. I step on the gas pedal of my car and it takes me from point A to point B. I got on an airplane and I landed where I wanted to go in a short amount of time. How many things had to happen in history, in the world, with people, with discovery, with how many things had to happen? That's what my bracha is on. So when I make a bracha on my blue chips in the sky, I'm not making a bracha on blue chips. Are there blue potatoes? How are the chips blue? There are blue potatoes? Okay, Baruch Hashem. I'm not just making a bracha that there's such a thing as a blue potato and someone deep fried it for me. My bracha's not on the blue chip. You know what my bracha's on? That I'm sitting in this aluminum vessel flying through the sky and I'm in New York in two hours and ten minutes and, and that's it. And that if I lived just a few generations ago, it would take me a two and a half week ride in my horse and buggy, whatever. I'm not making a brach on the blue chips. I'm making a brach. Now that's a level of consciousness that's very, very difficult. Certainly a hundred times a day to have the consciousness of everything that went into everything I'm doing. But do you not think you'd have more plus two days if every time you made a bracha you said, you know, I'm pretty blessed to be living in the generation I'm living. I'm pretty blessed to have access to this. I'm pretty blessed to see everything that had to go into this. So if we want more of those plus two days, and if we can do this, I end the way revolbedos harei hamavarech yizbarach. May the one who's offering blessings be blessed. By offering our brachas, may we feel blessing. See you two weeks from today for our 100th Amuna class party. If you'd like to be one of the sponsors of the breakfast that day, please contact Linda.